Welcome to Finance for Physicians, a show where we empower physicians like you to practice medicine the way you always dreamed you would. This podcast features doctors, physicians, and experts that share one main thing in common. We believe having control of our finances leads to having control of our lives. In a world where doctors' lives are often dictated by our needs to maximize income, pay back massive student loans, and buy homes, many of us give up reaching those goals. But it doesn't have to be this way. If you are ready to learn how financial wellness creates happier doctors and patients, then I'm your guy. I'm your host and financial expert, Daniel Wren. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Hope you're having a great day. Today, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Disha Spath. Disha is a practicing primary care physician and hospitalist. She's also a mom and a wife and a first-generation immigrant. Early into practice, like many newly minted physicians, she really suffered from some major lifestyle creep early on, and she actually ended up in a position where her and her husband felt really just stuck financially, even though salary had gone up a lot. But what was unique about her story is she made some brave and difficult decisions and ultimately made the big change to turn the corner there. And after this mindset shift, in a relatively short period of time, her and her husband were able to pay off around $750,000 in debt. And so through this journey, she's become quite the personal finance geek, even developed a passion for helping other physicians live more frugal and happier lives. She's the founder of The Frugal Physician and a white coat investor ambassador and is a regular speaker and writer. And so in our conversation, Disha shares her story of going from major lifestyle increase to this frugal living setup. I think the world tends to tell us that frugality is never fun. I'm sure you've heard budgeting and you hear the word and you're thinking, oh no, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to budget. But what we discuss is looking at it, how it actually improved her happiness and really helped her and her husband to gain that financial security and flexibility that they wanted. We also talk about how your childhood has a really big impact on your relationship with money today and how important it is to gain awareness of this connection. We also talk about how important values are to put first so that you can really use money as a tool to live those out as opposed to just pursuing more money or more stuff as the foundation. Then we talk about why frugal living is a worthwhile consideration, I think even for very high income earners. And she shares how some specific examples of how her and her husband approach money and talks through what their financial date nights look like. And then we wrap up with some specific examples of how Dish is practicing frugality today. So this is definitely a fun conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing her perspective. It's a great message, I think, that really should be more commonplace, and I'm glad to hear that she's talking about it. So with that, let's jump into today's episode. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I love that you're speaking up about frugality. I don't know if that's not been, it seems like there's not a ton of people talking about frugality in the physician circles. At least I haven't come across a ton. 
it's not a very sexy topic to talk about for high earners, right? But it is a topic that really interests me. And I find just fascinating because as we spend more money, as we have more disposable income, Mm -hmm. uh, we also can super maximize like how we're saving money. And, you know, wealth building and financial stability is based on having a delta between your income and your expenses. And if you're spending everything, then, well, unfortunately, you know, it doesn't matter how much you're making, you're not going to make that much progress. So, I think paying full price is for people that are not very smart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's lots of ways. (laughs) Yeah. There's so many ways to save money and paying full price is for chumps guys. Stop paying full price. There's like sales and like coupons and there's so many ways you can not pay full price. So that's what I like to talk about because these things are super marked up, right? They're trying to just take your money. Yeah, if you don't pay full price for something, I think that's especially useful for products, uh, you know, that you're buying. So if you're paying less than full price versus paying full price, that's just tossing money out the window, right? Exactly. Sorry. And yeah, I'm talking specifically here about products and consumer items. You know, we're talking clothes and shopping things and things like that. There are ways you can optimize um, how or much even you're spending houses. on consumer. Yeah, houses, cars, cars. yeah, purses, yeah. shoes, clothes. Yeah, there's so many ways to save money, yeah. especially on the higher end market, you know, where you where the prices are really sort of arbitrary mm-hmm. and they will just charge whatever people are willing to pay. And that's where physicians a lot of times find themselves in, is in the higher end markets because we're able to afford it. But you can get so much better deals if you actually find that item instead of a thousand dollars you find it for 200 right um mm-hmm. this is not a conversation a lot of the society can have you know but this is where i really felt like there was a need for someone to start talking about how to save money in the higher end market i want to get into more of that first of all you're in good company because i love talking about frugality <laughs> so that's always a good start but and i would i want to get into like examples of that i would love to circle back to that if we can But I think before we dig in, I'm super curious. I I know a little bit about your story, but I'm sure people listening are like, how did you get to this point of talking about finances and especially for reality? Yeah. Okay. So kind of a long story. (laughs) Let me dive in. Um, So I am a first generation immigrant. I moved from India back in 1995 to straight to Augusta, Georgia. And uh, that's where my uncle was. And so that's where my family went, my mom, my sister and I. And we were like super poor. We were super Mm -hmm. poor when we moved. We came with our suitcases and really nothing else, no other assets. So initially, we lived in my very well off uncle's mansion. And then we lived in his lake house. So we were in this like very affluent Hmm. culture of Augusta, Georgia. Yeah, right. <laughs> but we were like super poor. And so we were, you know, dependent on the good graces of our un- my uncle. And thank God for him. But you know, after a couple of years, we moved out and mom found a job as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and such. So anyway, we lived in like subsidized housing. And then we were in like a completely different socioeconomic sphere. Mm-hmm. And my middle school years were just being super frugal, like, to the point where like, we couldn't go to the grocery store and get everything we wanted. We went to McDonald's for 
my birthday celebratory dinner because that's what we could afford, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was like, we're super poor at that point. And then during that time frame, all I did was like read and play outside, which was actually not that bad. But it was an uncomfortable frugality, right? That's when you're like actually really crimping and saving every single penny and just looking at every single thing that you're spending in this super scarcity mindset. And then worked hard, um, studied a lot, got scholarships to go to college, and then worked my butt off in medical school. And finally, I got done with residency and became an attending. And finally, I was like, wow, I'm making the <laughs> big bucks, right? Here we are, finally arrived, made it out of the projects. And everyone told me like, all right, now you've made it. Now, you know, live the life, live the good life. And I took that and went with it and I got my first contract. We decided to uh, move to Savannah, Georgia, and we bought a nice house on an island. The gated community is beautiful. It's a beautiful place and a beautiful neighborhood. But we quickly went from living like residents to living like attendings, you know, before we I even started my first job. Mm-hmm. So when I was in my first job, I realized that a hospitalist salary, $200,000 a year, uh, which I thought was like a ludicrous amount of money when I was not making that much. Yeah. I found that even though I was making this much and my husband at the time was going to school, I figured, you know, like I'm making a good salary. I can support the family while he goes to school because people have done this for years and decades. People have lived on one physician salary for decades, right? A decade, centuries. It has completely been possible. So, but you know what? We got there and I just found myself not feeling like we had it together. I didn't feel like we were really making good progress on our Mm -hmm. financial goals. And I felt like we were living paycheck to paycheck. What I brought in every month seemed to go out every month. And while we were making slow prodding progress at retirement savings and such, um, it wasn't the pace that I would have liked. I felt like I was living in the scarcity mindset still, even though we were in a much better surrounding. My breaking point was when I was taking my maternity leave for my second child. And I was so stressed out about money that I ended up spending most of my maternity leave sewing the cover to a couch. That was my breaking point because I realized because I was sewing this cover to the couch, I was downstairs away from my babies um, because there were like little sewing pins and needles everywhere. I couldn't let them in. And I ended up spending my maternity leave away from my child, even though, you know, it was stressing me out. I had taken the unpaid maternity leave because we didn't have, as a hospitalist, we don't really get maternity leave, or at least in my contract, there wasn't one. So it was all unpaid. And, you know, it's just stressful. It was just stressful. And uh, even though we had the means, I felt like I was not getting it right when it came to money. I was spending too much on things that didn't matter. I was spending too little on things that did matter, (laughs) like spending time with my child. And I had my priorities all mixed up. And we were like $250,000 in debt, you know, uh, we were worth negative $250,000 at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I figured that out after I realized that how badly like we were managing things, there was just some things that we needed to change. Yeah, we had taken on too much debt, and there wasn't enough and we were spending too much. Uh, Bottom line, right. So my husband and I, we sat down and kind of 
took a just a survey of our situation. We wrote down all our debts, interest rates, wrote down, you know, all our assets, and of course came up with a net worth number that was very depressing. And so we said, okay, well, let's take, you know, let's make an, some extra room, extra $500 to $1,000 a month, and let's just start putting it towards our debt. And we decided to do a debt snowball. And as we were doing the debt snowball, we started to make other changes that helped us increase the delta between our income and expenses, such as like looking for sales, spending money where we actually wanted to spend money, doing budget dates. At the end of the month, we would meet and actually wow. go through our spending, right? I've tried. I've done, I've done those before. I've tried those before. They're, they're fun when they work. <laughs> double duty. Yeah, double duty. Yeah, what do you mean by date, that? You're doing a date and you're doing budgeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not quite as romantic as no, a no, date no. as uh, you but would But like want. us finance geeks love that. Yeah, exactly. When we're doing well, like when we're saving money and uh, yeah, at yeah. the end of the, and at the end of the spreadsheet, you're like, oh, right. High five. We did great. You know, that's a, that's a good budget date. There are months where we're like, oh spent too much this month, you know, but, but that's a good thing to also realize because then next month you can adjust for that and kind of watch it. So yes, yeah, so we started meeting monthly to go over our spending and soon we had paid off a hundred thousand dollars of student loans in six months. So first we paid off one car, then we paid off the second car, then we paid off a hundred thousand dollars of my student loans, which were 238,000 total. Mm -hmm. We paid off a hundred thousand in six months. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Like, I didn't think this was possible. How did we do this? You know, <laughs> like I saw, I mean, we did it, but like, wow. So I started writing about it. I wrote an article and I started my website, The Frugal Physician, at the urging of my husband. And, and it just sort of took off. That first article went viral. And then I had, uh, you know, a lot of people encouraging me to keep going. So I kept going. So three years later, we got that first year, we got nominated for the Plutus Award for Excellence in Financial Media for Best New Personal Finance Blog. And then started writing for CNBC a little bit, kind of just, it just sort of took off from there. And four years now, I've been writing about finance, writing about my journey, writing about reading and, and just totally geeking out with other finance nerds. And it's been really rewarding because, you know, I come from the perspective of a physician who made the mistakes. And so I feel like I can help other physicians and it makes me feel so good because it's so important for us, for physicians, for society, that physicians are financially stable, that our families are taken care of. And it's one of the most rewarding things I do. So I hope I hope to continue to do it, you know? Yeah, there's a ton of super important things sprinkled into that story. So those of you listening, especially like if you're well, I mean, everybody really, but especially I think of like those of you that are in training or, you know, earlier in the career, it's a lot of times, like when you transition to practice, there's like a bajillion decisions that kind of tend to get compacted right right in that little time slot. And it right. seems like that's in your story and in a ton of people's, that's where you're, I guess, prone to some of these slippery slope type decisions where lifestyle just really creeps up. You realized it was not equating to happiness. So that's the part that's unique is you kind of like realized it, I think. And I think a lot of people get stuck in this mindset of, you know, it's gonna, or maybe even just bury the head in the sand, or it's it's gonna be okay, it's for the future, or I'll work my way out of it, or, you know, that kind of thing. But you recognize 
there was some issues and it was not equating to happiness. And then you change things. And I think what I also thought was super important about when you decided to make changes is you did it the right way. You kind of, you involved your spouse, which is huge. And y'all had regular conversations. I imagine they were not all perfect, but like, you know, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, had date, you had date nights about budgeting and, and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. And then it sounds like you're kind of recognizing this imperfection. You said some things that kind of made me think like, you're realizing that finances aren't necessarily perfect, which I think a lot of physicians kind of lean perfect. All, a lot of us, all of us really mm -hmm. in our culture, lean perfectionist. Oh yeah. And that makes it so hard to do finances. Right. Right. Because it's not perfect. Ever. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, okay, listen, life is not perfect. Budget dates aren't perfect. Finances aren't perfect. You know, like perfectionism is, is a crutch, really. You know, we think it's like a shield we put up in front of ourselves and we're really also hindering ourselves from really seeing and maximizing the benefits we can get from from realizing our vulnerability, you know, and anyway, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here, but I, I completely agree with you that this perfectionism holds us back, right? It's killer. It's, and it's, it's a killer. goes under the disguise of like success. So it's like you're telling yourself or culture's telling you that it's actually a good thing, but it kills your, I mean, it's actually the source of a lot of the problems with finances yeah. and, and, and life in general. I think the other thing you said that was super important too is you it seems like you recognized that your values were really important and like you saw money as a tool to yes. kind of help you move that direction. And so yeah. I don't know, did you just like have a light switch flip or like <laughs> how do we flip the light happen? switch? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I don't know. I've always had like a anti-consumerism mindset. Yeah. I don't like being a consumer of goods. I like goods that make me happy, but I like nice things. Don't get me wrong, but I need my freedom. I think that's mm -hmm. what it is. I have a freedom to pursue happiness is my biggest driver. Mm -hmm. I never want to be stuck in a place. I've been stuck in a place when we didn't have enough money to live the life we wanted to live, right? When I was younger. So it's very, very important to me that money is available to me so that I have my freedom. But not. But it's not to the point where I want to be the richest woman in the graveyard. I don't, mm. you know, I don't want to, I don't want to amass like ludicrous amounts of wealth. I just want money to make the life that I want to live possible. Mm. And yeah. most importantly, you know, I, I lost my dad when I was 10. He was 35. I have outlived him now for two years. And it really just brings home the point that life is very fleeting. Things change very quickly. I went from living in India and not even like never getting on a plane, had no idea like what the American lifestyle was like to you know being here and now here I am you know living in America for decades and things change overnight those kind of like big life experiences that made me realize that having a financial cushion is important having financial flexibility is incredibly important and I definitely never want to be in that situation again where something greatly changes and then my family has to live like paupers again you know, yeah. while I am able to do that, 
I don't want it. (laughs) So uh, that's where, you know, like the whole really being hyper aware of where we're going financially comes from. And that's while I was sewing this couch downstairs and I was also listening to the White Coat Investor book because I was trying to learn about (laughs) finance. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, so I'm going to listen to this book. So this couch and... (laughs) I don't. I shouldn't be laughing, but that is just a semi-comical combo of events. <laughs> yeah, and like, what am I doing? Like, I and I realized all the things I didn't know. And you think you know, the book it, was helping kind of sprinkle? I imagine that's this book. You know, white good investor. I'm sure a lot of you've heard of the book. Did you read? Were you reading his original book? Yes, the first one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about so kind of like the basics of personal finance and all the things you really should yeah. know and financial literacy really it's your it's a good kind of first step into financial literacy and mm-hmm. and a little bit of mindset and that that kind of thing yeah so did that help oh sounds like oh yeah absolutely definitely opened my eyes to all the different things like that i was feeling and it helped me narrow down that like this is the problem it helped me identify mm-hmm. the problem and then and then we fix it yeah so mm-hmm. you know realizing that we're imperfect realizing that there are always going to be ways that we can be more perfect, but that's not the point, right? The point is to make progress and to be aware of where our money is going, where our shortcomings are with stuff we don't know about, but also still taking steps to make our families have a better, more financially stable future. I mean, you take little steps, you keep learning. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's so important to do this, you know, to talk Mm -hmm. about finances and learn about it. It sounds like you're pretty aware of your childhood's impact in your current financial leanings, I guess. Is that accurate assessment? I mean, I've done a lot of thinking and uh, therapy. (laughs) Good. Because that's that's where my mind was going. Because so I kind of grew up in a similar childhood, not completely similar but there's similarities in it and like you know well off at all on the low end lots of kids Mm -hmm. i kind of developed this scarcity mentality i was like fear-based financially focused you know so i was like Mm -hmm. we were talking about before we started recording about how i used to work horse shows and near where you live and this is when i was like 16 years old and i was like fighting to earn money so that i could never get in the same situation as what I grew up in, which is not entirely the healthiest route because I had to kind of shift gears to where I'm like, not so fear focused and and that kind of thing. And part of it was like awareness and my wife's been great because she kind of is direct and tell, you know, gives me another perspective and therapy has been helpful to kind of, for me, the best thing ever to kind of get a little bit more of a grip on how childhood is impacting today was therapy. Yes. Uh, my Everybody has different views on therapy, but my view is like everyone would benefit from therapy. It's like a self-development. Exactly. Tool, yes. Not like a negative fix-me tool. Right. Exactly. I 100% agree with that. I've done a lot of therapy in my life, and it's a really good way to kind of identify your thought processes. I mean, the whole point is to identify, okay, this thought came from here. I can choose to Mm. act on it or I could choose not to. But when you identify that this is where it came from, it gives you power over that thought, right? And it doesn't 
that thought does not rule the rest of your life. So with the finance stuff, it's been tough for me now that we're in a better place. Now that we're in a place where we're actually financially stable, we've broken into the double comma club. We're like where we wanted to be, but sometimes it's difficult to get out of that scarcity mindset and just be like, all right, yes, there we need to. Okay. So I have to like actively work at, okay. And this, my budget actually helps me do this is enjoy yourself, right? Take, stop trying to save every single penny. Mm. Um, And so in my budget, we have a um, fun fund and I make it a point to spend my fun fund every month, you know, and I've let myself slowly increase our standard of living to the point where, you know, where I have the things that I want, that I'm not living in this like Mm -hmm. scarcity world. Of course, the hard part is to keep it in check. And not like go overboard. <laughs> yes, go the other direction. Yes, exactly, and yeah. not not spend everything again. Well, that's you know? that's also where a budget a budget helps. Is it's kind of like gives you regular awareness of things. But I'm right there with you. I, I budget relatively regularly. I'm more of a cash flow guy. <laughs> like uh-huh. I look at the high level spending and not the mm-hmm. categories. Okay. And then when the high level gets off, I look at the categories. So right. that's just kind of my flavor of how I do my own finances. But I have yeah. like. I can't get away. It's been difficult for me to get away from this like anxiety that comes up when we're making decisions about buying things, especially like my wife, I think of (laughs) my wife got me some custom snow boots for Christmas a couple years ago. And I absolutely love skiing and, but I'll just use the lowest end of everything and just cheap it out. And and, and, Mm -hmm. and when I realized how much they cost, I was like, (laughs) I had trouble with the, it wasn't but we could completely afford it it was just a difficult yes uh, thing it gives me. you those sweats do you get those sweats when you spend too much money and you're like yes i have them all the time <laughs> i am which so so this is like frugality frugality in itself i, I don't think makes you happy um, yeah Agreed. it can actually cause problems yeah but like what is it that makes you happy maybe we could go back there because i think what makes me happy about frugality? Okay. So like those snow boots, I would like, what What would really make me happy is if I deal stacked a couple of coupons <laughs> and didn't pay full, t- full, you know, uh, full price for it. <laughs> but this was a gift too. So that was where my mind went. I'm like, oh, we could have yeah. gone in like October off season and gotten these half off. But then I started thinking that and I didn't want to say that because my wife was standing there right there and she's the one that did a nice thing for me. And I'm like, right. You know, so yeah, I know my, my coupon mind, you know, jumped into full gear and yeah. Well, that's me. when it's like this was your wife's decision. This is a it is to let that one something go. nice for you, right? Exactly. So yeah, so you gotta let that one go. My husband gave me like this really nice spa certificate recently too. It was like five hundred dollars to the spa, no two hundred fifty. But the entire thing actually ended up co- costing five hundred dollars, like massage and a <laughs> facial. And I was like, oh my. God, like, (laughs) there's so much money. That's like half your shift. I know. Um, (laughs) What's helped me is to kind of lean into that, like what causes me happiness. Um, So the the snow boots, I keep going back to the snow boots, but the snow boots I use a lot and and they are enjoyable. And if I can kind of remind myself of that, that's helpful. And then some of the, I really love digging into the research around what, equates to happiness financially and super interesting research has kind of indicated that like 
things like experiences with people you love especially are impactful for your happiness positively impactful mm -hmm. buying mm -hmm. time which you kind of have referred to is imp positive impact on your happiness absolutely giving money away is one of the best which is super it throws people off a lot and it's yeah. uncommon too it's like if that's true like we need to everybody needs to be more generous and yeah whatnot. so absolutely those kinds of things have helped me a lot but have there been other things on your end that have helped you kind of through that through the scarcity yeah yes. i mean honestly personally yeah i i agree giving money away i love hosting people in my house and mm. like hosting events and just like and making people happy that way that makes me and we um, go out and cook food for um, the Ronald McDonald house every once in a while as well, you know, mm. and, and do the charity stuff too. But I love just doing it like myself and being there and, and having that experience because it does, it gives you this feedback to your brain that you have enough, right? Mm. There is enough. And then of course, sitting down meeting with my husband, doing the budget date, but also tracking our net worth, tracking our investments every month. When we do the budget date, it reinforces the financial concepts that we need to practice, but mm. also tells you there is enough, right? right? Tells you, listen, you're still making progress. And that's the important part. And it's not about the destination. It's really about the journey. So you like, mm. you really have to enjoy the journey as well. What's your husband like in this regard? Like, is he similar He's, to you? Yeah, he doesn't spend much money. He doesn't have like he doesn't have expensive taste. I'm the one that has expensive taste. So <laughs> I have to keep it in check. Yeah. But uh, he he's a pretty steady guy. And he's generally like very accommodating to what like what makes me happy. So mm -hmm. I'm very lucky in that he does usually un unless the spath foot comes down and then the foot's not moving. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a few things he'll put his foot down and yeah. then it's like okay that's not gonna change like ever but um, yeah but uh yeah so he's a, he's he's a pretty he's a great partner to uh yeah that's what, what marriage makes it a little more complicated it, it, in the end i think it makes it better but it mm. does make it, it same th sort of thing if you're in business if you have a partnership anytime you introduce multiple opinions and views and it's never going to be the same that makes it more complicated but it also forces you to kind of work through some of these things and there's accountability and there's positive aspects of it that i think yeah. can, that help you know both people come out ahead i wanted to ask you about uh financial literacy versus mindset because i think those are super important topics mm -hmm. both absolutely of them. but i'm curious of your thoughts on which should we focus on first? Should we get our mind right first or should we learn the books first? Yeah, <laughs> this is a, I tend to fall more towards the practical, get, learn the practical stuff first, okay? Yeah. Because honestly, if you start with the mindset stuff first, you go too much towards spending too much because, mm -hmm. you know, you start, you go, oh, you have enough. So it, the problem is, okay, so the mindset stuff we're working on getting out of scarcity. We're working on creating the life that we want to live. And a lot of the times that goes towards, okay, then let's spend more. Let's take out more debt. Let's take out the money from our retirement accounts and start buying real estate mm -hmm. properties. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we start getting into this like really risky 
mm-hmm. pattern of financial management that I'm not a fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very conservative. So I think it's a better starting point to start learning about finance, start off a little bit more on the scarcity side, and then work on mindset and mm-hmm. then fix the mindset afterwards, because it's important to get the system set up that right. will not get you in trouble, that won't make you take on a whole bunch of risk. And I think that's why Dave Ramsey, the Dave Ramsey style is so important in the financial world, because we get the live YOLO, take on a whole mm-hmm. bunch of debt. If you invest and earn X amount of interest, then the amount of interest on your debt doesn't matter. You're coming out ahead. You know, we get this message from really the entire consumer culture right yeah we need something something anti that (laughs) to get our stuff together to stop being so consumeristic to stop taking on so much debt and that's why debt is not bad but debt is a tool a dangerous one it's like Mm -hmm. fire you know if you don't know how to fire is an incredibly important tool for humans and for humans and our lifestyle but if you don't know how to control it it takes over right? You need to know how to use this tool and have appropriate amount of respect for it and fear of it, Mm. right? Not to the point where you don't use it, but to the point where you respect it. Right. I think that's good to get to at least to that point where you recognize money is a tool. And I think recognizing money is a tool for living your ideal life, having that foundation. And then, yeah, I agree, like getting into that financial literacy. It's kind of like both of them. You got to do both of them. And they interrelate completely. And Mm -hmm. ideally, you're... But I think, first of all, we all should be working on self-education development forever, too. Right. And I think there's... I guess that's kind of a mindset thing, too. It's like, I finished my education, I'm done forever. And the lifelong learner mindset, I think, is important, too, is... Absolutely. There's so much to learn. Yeah. There's so much to learn. And yes, you can learn the basics and get started. And that's the thing. A lot of the times physicians are so perfectionist that they want to learn everything and know everything before they make any moves. And then Mm -hmm. they get stuck in this analysis paralysis as well. Right. Um, So there's, you know, there's a balance to be struck there. So yes. When do you know enough to get started? Well, really, you need to know enough to manage your first paycheck manage your first contract, right? And mm-hmm. that's really where you need to make that first move and know what to do. So learn the basics and then continue to learn because there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think budgeting too is very difficult for perfectionists. <laughs> I struggled with my first multiple years of budgeting was challenging for me because I would do the perfect budget basically. <laughs> <laughs> and it never worked. So I see it regularly with people. We work with one-on-one with families and there we do the budgeting part. And it's like, you know, they're 99% of the time the we finish the budget and then it's somehow not what they're spending. You know, it's always less mm. than what <laughs> they're spending, but that's just because there's this like margin money that life happens, things don't go as planned, or we underestimate or whatever it is. Right. And for I think, for perfectionists, it's like, well, that's not exactly correct. Like, we got to get this thing correct. And that's, and sometimes they just kind of throw the budget away. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and then just scrap it. Yeah. I don't know that that's the, the best way to do it. I think budgeting should be so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I think budgeting um as a negative connotation uh, a mm-hmm. lot of people it's not cool a lot of people view frugality as like you know equate it to being cheap and 
you know, all those sorts of things are running through people's heads. So like, I think we need to make a better case for budgeting. <laughs> We've already started to sprinkle some of that in, but like, how do we make a better case for budgeting? I think it, I think it's a great tool and you've already hit on that. Yeah. The, I think people try to call it like cash flow management yeah. or, <laughs> you know, try to give it like a sexier name than the B word. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that there are different ways to budget. It's not just expect, it's not just an Excel spreadsheet. Right. Um, you know, you, you can just do pay yourself first and that that's a type of a budget, mm. right? I mean, it's not, it's not really what we're talking about here, but if you do pay yourself first, which is basically you set up the auto withdrawals into, to go towards what the goals that you want to achieve first and then spend the rest, that's another mm. type of budgeting, but budgeting is just being mindful about where your money is going and then taking account of it at the end of the month. Mm. I think it's part of just being an adult. Right. Yeah. Uh, people used to balance their checkbooks. Like that's right. what. Yeah. <laughs> right. That that's what was budgeting. Yeah. Right. Now we spend money so many other ways than just checks. And that's why it's so it's more important to like sit down and go through it because now the entire culture is set up to take slowly take money out of your bank account. Mm -hmm. You know, the subscription model is the reason it has taken off so well is because it's so easy to set those up and then forget about it. And then you have this cash flow of consumerism just going out of your account every month. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important to sit down and look at it every month and do your own personal assessment. I feel like if when we're not budgeting, like the last two months, Josh and I have missed our budget dates for one reason or another. And we have it on the calendar tomorrow because we got to get it done because I feel so disoriented yeah. without knowing what we spent and what, you know, what mm. we're doing, what our accounts are doing at the end of the month. Right. There's just so many different ways the money goes. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes, it talks about, uh, it's like, show me your checkbook and your calendar and I'll tell you what's most important. <laughs> so it's like show me your budget and i'll show you your priorities show Joe me Biden. your budget yeah, yeah show me your budget <laughs> show me where your money's going and i'll tell you what's most important a lot of people are like yeah of course it's i'm doing what's valuable to me and blah blah, blah. but like let someone else look at your budget and they'll be able to tell you what you value because you know that tends to same with time it tends to Absolutely. so it is very important like it's where your money's going that's what budgeting is yep and if you're not looking at it then it's just going everywhere that everyone else wants it to go to right if yeah, you lose that's losing awareness and that's never a good thing can yeah. you share like what the date nights are like so josh and i have like this setup where his computer is right in front of mine so we're both sitting across from each other we have our two desktops <laughs> with the two screens each and uh we just uh we pull up our accounts we have our Excel spreadsheet. It used to be that USAA would do some of the breakdown for you, mm -hmm. like give you the categories, but they stopped doing that. So now we have to go to the individual accounts and actually, you know, put in the actual line by line numbers, which is kind of annoying. But mm -hmm. anyway, but each card does add up, you know, each category spend. So we just go through each line item um, visually and just make sure that it's all uh, kosher that there was no fraud or anything and then we put in the numbers into our excel spreadsheet as a total for each category we don't write down each you know small spend and uh, then we are in our excel sheet we have the income we have the withholdings for our retirement Payroll. hsa and all that stuff coming out of our paycheck and then we have the expenses for the month 
And so that's how we do our household. And then we have rental properties. So we try to track the rental property expenses below that separately mm-hmm. and the business expenses separately. So, <laughs> so you're documenting each category, like broader category, like, you know, dining out and right. Shopping, you know, shopping, uh, whatever. groceries. Yeah. You're putting each transaction into one of those categories and then looking at the total. Yeah. And then is it usually just that's that and you're like, let's actually have the rest of the date and not look at the numbers or is there any, does it depend on what the numbers look like? Well, so then we do, you know, what's the Delta for the month and hopefully we've saved some. We try to keep track of our savings rate. Mm-hmm. And if the savings rate is not where we want it to be, then then when we shoot for 30 to 50%, at least, you know, also taking into account our retirement savings. And if it's not there, then we talk about how, okay, next month, we're going to just sort of project out what the spends are, you know, what are the big things coming up, try to come come up with some rough numbers for what next month's going to look like and mm-hmm. shoot for a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we take the Delta and uh, transfer it over to our savings, high yield, high yield savings account. So that's where our um, auto withdrawals are from for the investing. Yeah. So then the then we have, you know, a set amount that we're investing every month out of there into 529s and brokerage and such. All the fun things. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Well, yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how we do it. <laughs> that's a, yeah. I mean, first of all, the most important thing is like, doing taking a step and doing something like having a conversation like a date night itself Mm -hmm. and everybody has it's i like asking because i've they're all different every person i've ever talked to about this which is not a lot of people talk about this but i think it's a good thing to talk about Mm -hmm. Uh, but everybody's got a different flavor of how they do things the more important thing is that you're taking the initiative to do those things and have the conversation with your spouse and coming in from a positive frame of view which you're doing a great job of so kudos to that. Thank you. I wanted to, one more thing before we wrap up. I know, I know we got to wrap up here, but I'm really curious to circle back to your ideas, your favorite ideas for how to be super frugal with, you know, day-to-day living. Okay. So I think, first of all, I use credit cards, uh, the reward and all the perks that come with them. I think they're a great way to stack deals. So mm-hmm. like Amex will or Chase will give you, you know, 10% back at Target if you mm-hmm. go and spend this month. So there's that. And then you can get the Target Circle savings as well. Or you can just, you know, go and buy something on sale. And then you get the extra money back on your card. So if you and it's it's pretty easy to start stacking deals like that or if you have a coupon stack that on top and it's easy to start doing that if you're actually just paying attention and thinking about it but it does it requires some brain space you know and mm. that's usually what holds people back from doing it. But if you're able to do that there's a very e- easy ways to save money there. And of course Rakuten and Capital One Shopping now I'm throwing out names, uh, brand names, but there are many different sites out there that will uh, apply coupons for you now online if you're shopping online. So that's a great way to start stacking deals is you know uh, by putting in a uh, just running that uh, on your browser and having it put in coupon codes for you mm-hmm. as you buy something on sale. 
I tend to get most of my clothes. I, I like high-end clothes, but I don't like paying the high-end prices. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I tend to get them from rental subscription services. I think they're a really great way to get a good deal on designer products is to sign up for the rental subscription where, you know, see what you like. And a lot of the times they'll give you a huge discount to keep what you already have at home. So I have a subscription right now to Vince and Vince has like ludicrously overpriced items, but really <laughs> high end. <laughs> so like silk and cashmere, you know, I really enjoy that. And that makes me happy. So, you know, I get them for 90% off uh, when I'm also doing the subscription. So that way I can have what I want, but not pay full price for it. <laughs> I, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Rent the runway, same, similar stuff. You can get really high end stuff that's been in rotation. Of course it's used, mm -hmm. but if you're buying like more of the synthetic stuff, if you buy cotton from a rental subscription site, it's most often, you know, like it gets worn out. It shows its wear pretty quickly. So maybe not the best thing to buy used, okay. but if you buy something more synthetic, they generally hold up over time. And so you can buy some really nice designer stuff for cheap that way, yeah. you know? So that's how I tend to buy my clothes. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, just some nice stuff, some basics from Target. <laughs> yeah. And so there are ways to save money out there that, and especially, you know, of course, buying things off season, like you said, buy winter clothes at the beginning of summer and mm -hmm. you can get so such great deals or buy Christmas stuff you know, in the beginning of summer or right at the end of Christmas, you know, at, at New Year's to buy Christmas stuff is you can get huge deals there. So there are definitely ways to to think about and maximize, you know, where each dollar goes um, and how much each dollar brings in to your value to your house. So mm. those are some of my favorite ways. Yeah, that's like low hanging fruit stuff, because if you can get the same thing for a lower price, why not? Why not? That's you know, as long as it's not going to take days and days. Sometimes I get in the cycle of like researching too much. Right. <laughs> so, and then you got to watch, you got to watch that one, draw a line somewhere, but yet all kinds of easy all kinds wins of out there. Yeah. Groceries, groceries, for example, like it's just, it's really about habits, right? How you set up your habits. I mean, if you're, if you're shopping at the highest cost grocery store, you're going to be spending a lot of money on groceries, you know, whereas you just switch to something lower cost, like Aldi or Walmart. And, you know, you've cut, shaved off a bunch of money that you could be putting elsewhere in your budget. Um, and it's all just, it's just a matter of fixing the daily habits. I think a lot of frugality is habitual. And so if you can fix those habits and just set yourself up for the future in a way that you're spend you're spending less and saving more, and then then you can use that money for stuff that you really want to spend on or, yeah. you know, really want to put to use and invest in. It's, it's not like you're saying not spending it ever. You're saying I'm not spending it this second. And, you know, yeah. not being frugal doesn't mean necessarily that you'll never spend it. Right. Um, yeah. Know. You just spend it smarter. That's all. Yeah, you're more intentional with the spending exactly. and improving your future self. Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, there's so many different things that we didn't get to that I wanted to talk about. So hopefully <laughs> we can chat again about this because there's a lot of stuff within this topic. But I think w this has been a very enjoyable conversation. And I always love talking about frugality. And I'm, I'm excited I found someone else that enjoys the topic. And you're doing it the right way, too. You have, have your values first and i think that's super important so but thank, thank you. you for coming on to, to chat with me I, it's been very enjoyable 
Yes, absolutely. It's my pleasure. I'm always happy to geek out about frugality and money and whoever's willing yeah. to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Danielle. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to Finance for Physicians. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast player. On this show, we believe that when you prioritize your finances, you take better care of yourself, have more fulfilling relationships with your families, and most importantly, provide higher quality care for your patients. If you feel this way too and want to learn more, then make sure to join our community. Follow the Finance for Physicians Facebook group for bonus content and sneak peeks on next week's episode. Thanks for listening.